don't push the river, right? Like flow with it. Let yourself be carried forward by the current. And the current is, you know, with running or goals, it's like, you know, you have an ambition to do something and that's the current and let that carry you rather than forcing everything. Because I think that takes the joy out of it. And I, you know, I've just learned from long experience that when you have the joy for something, you run in a much more relaxed, with much more freedom. And honestly, I, you know, I think you're always going to have better results that way. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring this episode. Tracksmith just released their spring collection, and as a season shift yet again, I'm proud to continue this partnership with them. Tracksmith is a brand for committed runners like you and me, people who know that the best part of a busy day is squeezing in a workout. They offer products for training, racing, and rest days, which you know I'm a fan of, and create experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run, all one word, will receive free shipping and 5% of your purchase amount will be donated to the Michael J. Fox Foundation to help find a cure and support those living with Parkinson's. This episode is brought to you by Performance and Recovery Labs in Boulder, Colorado. PR Labs is all about truly collaborative care between practitioners. Women-owned and women-led, they're a group of sports medicine professionals who are invested in fully supporting their clients and goals with their hybrid care option, which lets you build your own sessions. They have PT, sports massage, and Cairo, and will be adding an infrared sauna and a cold saltwater plunge pool to round out their recovery options. They're cash pay and can supply you with invoices and notes to submit to your insurance company. If you live or find yourself in Boulder, Colorado, check them out and let them know I sent you. Welcome back. I have Katie Arnold joining me on the podcast today. Katie, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Thanks, Jonathan. It's super great to be here. Of course. So first question uh, is always a tough one. I'll let you get that drink of coffee first uh, to prepare for it. Um, Who is Katie? Who is Katie? Oh my goodness. Uh, Let's see. In no particular order or an order that changes kind of with the day. I'm a writer, runner, mother, human you know, aspiring Zen student, mountain lover, wanderer, seeker. Did I say runner? (laughs) You did once or twice. Um, That is a lot of hats. Um, So where did the, (laughs) I did a podcast recording yesterday and we spoke for 27 minutes before talking about running. And it's, it's just fascinating how like we have this thing that connects us but so much of it is about all of the other stuff associated with running. So I want to start with the writing aspect. Mm-hmm. How did you, um, where did you get the writing bug? I've been a writer, I think, and identified as a writer my whole life. Um, since I was very young, probably five or six or seven, um, stories are just fascinating to me. Um, I've always been a big reader. And I think as a young girl, I was trying to make sense of my world. And the way I did that was through telling stories, making stories up about the world around me, trying to solve sort of this riddle of my life. And and I write about that in my memoir, Running Home, which is my parents had separated when I was very young and I didn't know why. And sort of in the in the way of the 1970s, right? Children were sort of like airlifted from their lives and to put into new ones and kids were not told things. Um, And it's so different now, but so I didn't know kind of what had happened. And I think I was always trying to get to the, you know, to solve it. I loved mysteries. Um, I was a big fan of the kids book, Harriet the Spy, and I sort of fancied myself like Harriet. And so that impulse to tell stories and to solve things came from a very young age. I also think my father was a huge influence. He was a photographer and, but also a very beautiful writer. And so I think it's just been in me from the, from the very, very beginning. Is curiosity a part of that? 
Oh, a thousand percent. Curiosity is sort of the soul of a writer, I think. And I'm, I'm just always curious. And I'm teaching my own girls who are 13 and 11. And I've taught them this and sort of modeled this when they were very young is, is to move through the world just with that inquisitive mind and sort of, you know, when you pass someone on the street, there's a whole story in their face. Or when you see someone looking out of a window, I mean, my mind and my imagination, I could spin kind of an entire, you know, novel from that. And um, so curiosity is, is so much the driving force. And I think it's just, is has been in me since I was, you know, I've always been curious. Do you like airports and public places? Oh my, I feel like- <laughs> that is so crazy. You said that. Writing on airplanes is like my superpower that somehow being on an airplane, airports are fine too, but airplanes, like I have to have the window seat. So there's not a lot of, you know, action, but I do some of my best writing on airplanes. I think it's that place of being in between places and kind of neither here nor there and this state of motion, but stillness in motion and kind of that looking down on the world and anything is possible on an airplane. I, yeah, I love it. It, it. You know, I don't love air travel, but I, I love riding on airplanes. That's definitely not the way I thought you were going to go with that. <laughs> so I thought you like you would like airplanes and public places because of all of the opportunities to connect and be curious with strangers and to like, hmm, they're going to Cancun. Hmm, they're going to Pocatello. Hmm, they're going to uh austin like what's what's their story why are they going there what's the what's in their face what do you what's in their feeling well that too so you can sort of absorb all that and and digest it but then actually on the plane when we're all in our little rows and you're not really seeing the people around you then you can kind of go deep into the writing but for sure thinking of stories like that's something actually i haven't thought about this in a while but my dad and i and sister used to do when we would travel when i was a girl, we would be at a, you know, a diner or whatever. And there'd be some people at the next table and we'd sort of, you know, without like overtly eavesdropping or, you know, you know, intruding on their privacy, we would try to figure out like what their story was. And, you know, most of the time I'm sure we were so far off, but it was the act of invention more than anything that was like, was compelling to us. Yeah. I find that fascinating. It's like every single person is so unique and leads such a separate life. There's so much depth to every yeah. single person that we interact with and who knows what's going on behind right. behind their head. And um, it's just fascinating to like make up the story sometimes. Right. I mean, everyone has such a rich interior life and and yet we're all so the same at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like we all are human and we all want to be loved and seen and understood. And the human impulse is so universal, but the details of our story are so distinct. I love that paradox. Totally. Um, I want to ask about something that you shared with me, um, the Zen of running, building an inner strength and mindfulness that's not reliant on results to validate ourselves as runners and how when we do this, the results often follow. This is like the crux and core of the conversations I've been having on the podcast lately. Um, And it ranges from amateur recreational runners to runners who have made it their goal to win the the Olympic gold medal and Mm -hmm. then done that. Um, and everyone in between. And the consensus is exactly this, that when you focus on a goal that's in your control, so consistency or happiness or joy or fun or whatever, something that's not tangible, you're often much more successful tangibly than if you were to focus on tangible goals. It sounds like you've done a lot of exploring of this concept. So uh, I'm curious to hear from you, your thoughts. Um, I guess we'll start there. Yeah, I think that's sort of where my running is taking me into this exploration of how um, how to be more present with in our lives rather than always sort of striving or being out in front of ourselves. And it's really challenging as an elite runner or as someone, a competitive runner with goals, right? That is, that's the paradox is, you know, we want 
and and any runners like this probably has those goals that they you know want to achieve for themselves. And so, how do you hold the goal and yet be completely present in the process and not let the goal lead you astray or pull you out of yourself? And so, I. I have been exploring this, um, and I think that really my, you know, my experience with this started when I was coming back from injury. Uh, I guess it was four years ago now, and um, I had broken my leg in a pretty traumatic wilderness accident. And my orthopedist, you know, had told me that you know he didn't think I should ever run again, and so that was sort of the baseline. And then you know, some time passed, and I found that I had been accepted into the Leadville 100 lottery. And so I had this very tangible goal of getting to Leadville healthy. And what I learned was that I never was focused on the result at Leadville. Like I never focused on, you know, a time, you know, a place, you know, finishing in the top, whatever. It was always about doing what I needed to do in the moment to get to the starting line healthy. And that became this this practice in showing up daily for myself in ways that would help me and facilitate that goal of getting, you know, to the starting line healthy, but never fixating on the end result. And so that creates this kind of open-minded, well, curiosity to use the word used earlier about like, you know, if I'm showing up daily for myself, like anything could happen and I'm open to it all. Like I'm open to showing up at Leadville and just I kind of call it like I go into receive mode when I go to a race. Like if I know I'm prepared, I just kind of go in with like open arms, like, okay, now show me. Like I've done my work and I've been present in my training and now I'm open to whatever this is going to teach me. And so I don't, it's like, I call it kind of like holding lightly to our goals and be willing to see that maybe the goal that we had is actually you know, or a detour that comes along is not a detour, but is the true path. And so the way I do that is just really building that inner strength. And I do that through meditation. And, and that helps me kind of always make sure I'm coming from within with my running and not being pulled out. It's so hard or it's so easy right now, I would say, to be pulled out of ourselves, right? There's so much feedback and chatter on social media. And it's easy to get caught up in what other people are doing and other people's goals. And getting quiet for a period of time each day in stillness. And I would say running too is a meditation for me, but really actually sitting and having a sitting practice is the way that I get quiet and I can hear my own instincts and intuition to make sure that I'm still on my center line and I'm still acting from within, you know, in alignment with my aspirations and goals. Very cool. There's a lot there that I want to respond to, but I want to go back to uh, a spoiler alert. You won Leadville that year, so <laughs> yeah, it, it worked. It did work. <laughs> uh, to those who are listening, um, you mentioned something that um, I really resonate with: holding your goals lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, episode 150 of this podcast with my friend Tansy. Um, she talked about goals being like an egg in your hand, and mm. you hold them close to your to your heart. But if you squeeze them too hard, they break. Yeah, it's a great analogy. It's perfect, right? It's like if you over fixate on the outcome, it's either not going to happen or it's going to be incredibly underwhelming when it does happen. And so it's like this, like, oh, hold it at a distance, feel it, touch it, smell it, love it, but it's it's there but it doesn't need to be there in a way it's just sort of like the the guiding light right i you know there's this i i have this feeling rather than i know i'm on the right path when the feeling that i have within me is not that i'm chasing a goal but i'm being pulled toward the goal right that the goal like that the even sometimes I struggle with the word goal, but say like the race or the um, pursuit, I like that better, is like drawing me forward rather than me like I'm chasing my dreams. Like I'm going to run it down and tackle it and, you know, squeeze the joy right out of it. 
Um, and so it's a subtle difference, right? Because it's the same thing. It's showing up for yourself. It's not, this path is not like a license to be aimless or, you know, not have direction, but it's, but it's letting yourself be drawn forward um, rather than kind of squeezing it and like pushing it. I, I do a lot on rivers and rivers as much as mountains are very powerful in my life. And I always use the analogy, like don't push the river, right? Like flow with it and let yourself be carried forward by the current. And the current is, you know, with running or goals, it's like, you know, you have an ambition an aspiration to do something and that's the current and let that carry you, you know, rather than forcing everything. Because I think that takes the joy out of it. And I, you know, I've just learned from long experience that when you have the joy for something, which doesn't make it easy all the time, but when you have that joy, that you run in a much more relaxed and the same goes Free. for writing with everything with much more freedom. And honestly, I, you know, I think you're always going to have better results that way. I totally agree. Um, I was just in Austin, Texas for a running retreat called Endeavor Run. And one of the coaches, a guy named Bertrand Newsom, um, runs a coaching business called Too Legit Fitness. And he mentioned something about like, he's in it for the fun. He's there for fun. Um, not just like, woo, I'm going to run around and scream and have a blast, but um, really finding the joy in the process. And I went up to, and so we were encouraged to like, really spend a lot of time with the coaches and ask them questions and marinate on things that are gnawing at us. And I have a strange relationship with racing currently. Like I'm shying away from racing because I'm having so much fun training. And so I said to him, he's run, I think like 50 or 60 something marathons. Wow. And so he's no stranger to racing. And I, I said to him, I was like, hey, here's my deal. <laughs> I I was signed up for 50K in March and on a run, on a, on a long run with some friends, they're like, oh, what are you training for? And it uncovered that I had no desire to run the race because I just wanted to keep doing the training. And I just, I didn't want to change anything. I was in, like in such a groove and feeling good and enjoying the group runs and workouts and whatever. I was like, is this a problem? <laughs> and, and he was like, he like put his cup of water down. He's like, man, I can't tell you the number of people that come to me with the opposite problem. Oh, funny. <laughs> they're, yeah. like, they're like, people come to me because they've lost their mojo and they want to find it and mm -hmm. they want to find that fire. And he's like, you're in this unique spot where you're having that fun and the fire is there. And the racing is like, it's it's always there if you want it. For sure. Um, and so- it was just a funny dichotomy between like my experience as a beginner runner when it was all about the racing right. and it was only fun if I PR'd to, I don't need it. Yeah. And so I'm curious for you, what's driving the fun? What's driving the joy and where do you, how do you cultivate that? Yeah, I think it's so important to maintain that spirit of inquiry that you just were talking about is sort of always, you know, investigating kind of why everyone loves to talk about like, what's your why, you know, but like investigating what it is that draws us and keeps us going. And it changes all the time. I mean, for me, it's, you know, there's fluctuations with the seasons and, um, and like, if I'm coming off a big race season, you know, wanting to ski instead of run. And, and so I really just always am trying to listen to my intuition or my instincts because, you know, I think coaches are fantastic, but my belief is that we always have the knowing inside of us. We just don't always know what that is, but it's in us. And so, um, so trying to connect with like, I have a saying like, do what moves you. And I mean that literally, like what's moving you out the door? If if this month it's ski mo and you want to be up in the mountains skiing and skinning and skiing, like follow that, you know? And for you, do what moves you. Like if you want to just be out with your friends doing crazy long runs on the trails and you don't feel like showing up to the 50K start line, do that. You know, the motor inside of us and our own knowing and, is so powerful, but it gets so drowned out 
like I was saying before, by, you know, our to-do lists, our responsibility is magnified now since the pandemic, you know, for our children. Maybe we have aging parents. Work is complex and complicated. There's so much kind of insecurity out there. Um, but it's staying true to that voice and hearing that and, and allowing ourselves to follow it and, and to heed it and not to do what everyone else is doing. Um, and I think that's, that's really how I maintain the joy. And the other thing for me is that running now is such a practice in sort of holding that paradox of like having ambition, but also wanting to sort of dissolve myself in the process, right? Like to, to go so deeply into it that I become running and I have the same thing with my writing, like that I become the writing, that I'm not like a separate thing from it. And that does not mean that I shut out the rest of the world or I become so self-absorbed. It actually means the opposite, that I am more connected to my world. And so running is the way I explore that. And competition, you know, I, I have a complicated relationship with racing. I'm sure everyone does. Um, but I had maybe a year and a half ago, I was really questioning, like, did I want to race? Races were starting to feel like products, not experiences. And, and I was questioning that. And I was on my way up to a 50K, like an early season race in March in Utah, and grappling with that question on my drive up. And I realized that like races are such a great forum for me to practice that sort of that duality or to, to hold the paradox of like becoming part of something so deeply and not letting ego drive me. And if there's any great place to practice, you know, shedding your ego, it's in a competitive race, right? Like I can do that, you know, all I want on my solo mountain runs, you know, my Zen runs. But when you show up at a starting line, that's, you know, that's really where the practice happens. And so when I realized that I was like, oh, that's, that's what racing is teaching me. And that's why I'm doing it right now. And so that was an important moment just to to understand, because like you, can you I was talk like, more. Can you talk more about that? Um, yeah, that like, if one of my goals and sort of this falls under the Zen of running kind of umbrella is, is to not be running, you know, from my ego, but be running for sort of a, a connection to all beings, you know, as a competitive athlete, that's hard to do when you toe the line. Like there's a big part of me that wants to win or wants to do my best or cares where I am in the field. And so, um, showing up, that's the, that is the learning edge for me as in a race is, can I be, um, can I dissolve my ego while still running a strong race? And what does that even look like? Um, and how do I do that? And so that when I understood that, because I was like, I don't, I don't need to go to races. I was having a moment a few years ago, right before the pandemic, where I was like, I'm not sure racing is, is this the responsible thing to do for the environment? Like I could run 30 miles out my door in the mountains. Do I need to travel across two states to a, a race where they're giving out swag and like so much stuff and you know, and the resources required. And I wasn't sure about racing. And when I realized it could be part of that, my Zen practice, really, um, it became more compelling to me again. I'm so curious about that. <laughs> um, so you're, you're standing on a start line, let's say Leadville 2018, mm-hmm. um, which is the year that you won. And you're curious about what the next hundred miles is yeah. gonna is gonna look like, and you're trying to do it without ego. You're not thinking, "I'm gonna beat her. I'm gonna beat her. I'm gonna beat her," and you're not thinking about, "I must perform my best." Mm-mm. But you do perform your best. Mm-hmm. You did perform your best. I mean, I can tell you what I was thinking. Do you want to? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so. So for me, you know, driving into Leadville before the start of the race, like I had to pull over on the side of the road because seeing the mountains, I was just filled with this overwhelming gratitude that I had gotten there healthy and that I was there. And so the baseline for me that, that weekend was intense gratitude. 
like uh, I'm crying with gratitude kind of thing. Like out of, you know, not like I've got to summon this gratitude or I'm going to have a gratitude practice. It was just that natural upwelling, right? that kind of knowing I was talking about. And, um, and that sense of openness, like, okay, you know, at the, at the Leadville race meeting, you know, the day before the race, very famously, Ken, the race director will, you know, tell you to look around in the gymnasium and like half of the people around you will not finish. And I had a very real moment where I was like, yeah, that could be me. Like, I don't want it to be me, but that could be me. And going into it also so open to that, knowing I had like trained you know, from within as best I could. And I really did feel very ready, but I, you know, I didn't know who else was racing only like the week before had I even, you know, bothered to sort of like guesstimate my pace, you know, rounding up very generously and conservatively. And so I was never really caught up in that. And that I only did because I had pacers and helpers, you know? Um, and, and then just, you know, going to the start line, wanting, I wrote two words on my hand in Sharpie, which was smile and flow. And I wanted to smile because, um, you know, there is that sense there, you know, everyone knows that when you smile, it makes your perceived effort less and you feel better, but more, it was just that gratitude feeling. And the flowing was the sense that I've always had when I run in the mountains that I am absorbing the mountains energy through my body. And it's kind of like meeting in the middle and it's coming from the sky and up through my feet. And if I could run with that energy, it's much bigger than my own energy. Like I'll run out of energy long before the mountain ever will. So there was that feeling that I just wanted to kind of flow with the mountain as long as possible. And, and and my plan was like, when I popped out of that flow, to just like hold on with my fingernails. And, but the truth is like, I never popped out. I mean, honestly, I got to the finish and I was still in like, it was, you know, 19 hours and 53 minutes of, of like almost continuous flow, which far exceeded any, you know, I never imagined that, you know, like I didn't strategize for that. It was just, again, that thing I held lightly. Thanks again to Tracksmith for supporting the podcast. I'm proud to partner with Tracksmith and they're going to donate 5% of your order value to the Michael J. Fox Foundation for all orders and you'll also get free shipping. The Michael J. Fox Foundation is dedicated to finding a cure and helping those living with Parkinson's. Both of my grandfathers have or had Parkinson's and I'm grateful for Tracksmith's support for something so personal. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run will contribute towards this donation. I have been loving their Harrier long sleeve and Alston half tights in particular. Thanks again to PR Labs for supporting not only this episode of the podcast, but my training and recovery. I've been going to PR Labs since the moment I landed in Boulder and love their Cairo, sports massage, PT, and acupuncture options. They're a one-stop shop when it comes to sports performance and recovery, and all of their practitioners are so knowledgeable and are also athletes themselves. Their hybrid care option lets you build your own sessions. I love the acupuncture and massage combo. If you live in or find yourself near Boulder, check them out and let them know I sent you. I mean, that's what that's what I do it for, too. It's like the feeling of flow yeah. is the one of the most powerful and one of the most incredible feelings. And you can't get that without putting in immense amounts of work. Um, th- so the Austin Marathon was this past weekend, and my friend Peter Bromka ran it. Peter's a 219 marathoner, mm-hmm. um, and he decided to run this race the day before. Um, so for people out there who are running 100-mile races, you know, signing up for a marathon day of is or the next day is, you know, it happens. Yeah. But he's he's he still ran a 241. Um, and I saw him at mile 23 and he was still, you know, calling to the crowd and smiling and we ran together for about a quarter mile. Cause that was all I could keep up with him <laughs> at his five thirty, five forty pace at that, oh that deep in the race. And he said at mile 24, I think he just started crying like out of the, the flow and the overwhelming gratitude that like his body can do this and he can just like, yeah, I'm going to have a fun long run tomorrow and, you know, see the city and run fast with a lot of people. And 
he won the masters category mm-hmm. and uh you know these things that we get to do we can be so it can be oh yeah i did the work of course i'm going to do it or it's like holy shit i get to do this like right. and then have these moments of overwhelming gratitude he said he was out in no man's land there was nobody near him uh, there were no spectators nothing and he was just like look at what we get to do yeah and when you can i'm preaching to the choir here with you but like when when you can get to a place when it's we get to do this versus right. we have to do this it's so powerful right. like our bodies are healthy they're enabling us like they're allowing us to do this right this so this morning in boulder it was it was uh five degrees below zero and I had a workout to do. And I don't know, in the past I would have wimped out or tried to find a friend with a treadmill or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> screw it. I'm just getting, I'm going to get into it. And, and how cool is it that like we can do hard things. Right. And it's, it's that balance between, um, it's like, a, it's a balance. It's like, it's so fantastic that that our bodies allow us to do this. That sometimes we even we go too far with it, and um, it's like, what else can we do? What, how far can we go? But I think that's the that's the curiosity aspect. Like, really, how far can we go? Have you thought about how far can you go? I mean, I do think about that. Before I say anything about that, I do think the other piece to the gratitude is for flow for me, you know, is like what really primes me for flow is humility and humility in the face of as a mountain trail runner, like the mountains, right. And, and knowing I'm like, but a speck in the mountains and, you know, anything can happen. And I think that was that feeling I had at the Leadville pre-meeting that was like, you know, half of, half of you in here won't finish. And, you know, rather than like, no way, that's not going to be me is that just sort of humility, like that could be me, you know? And so I think humility is a big piece um, to sort of priming ourselves to find that flow state, you know, doing the work, coming in with like a real sincere gratitude and, and recognizing that, you know, like it may not go as planned. Um, so and that's the beauty of it, right? It's yeah, perfectly ugly I mean, honestly, sometimes. It is. Like if everything went as planned, boy, that would be pretty tedious. And boring. <laughs> but what did you ask about how far, do I think about how far I can go? I sure do. I mean, I, I think about it in that way of like, well, are these super long distances right now? We're talking about like ultra ultras, like 200 plus miles. I'm really curious about that of like, is that kind to myself? Is that necessary? Like, and I, and I'm not, I would never speak to someone else's, right? Like we all, like I said, we all have that, our own instincts and knowing. And, um, but for me, if sort of looking at it, like if it's this Zen path for me running, do I need to do 200 miles? Would my body want to, you know, like, is that kind to my body? I, when I hear people doing it, I'm I quite frankly, like astounded and amazed um, because it feels far away to me, that kind of distance, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very curious. I, um, but I don't feel this like, you know, pressing urge to like push again, there's that word push. Like I'm not pushing, but rather I'm trying to let my instincts lead me to where I naturally want to go. And I don't know if that's, if that's it, but I'm, I'm, you know, amazed and, and, incredibly impressed by people who can run that far. I had a chat with Courtney DeWalter. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the episode number, but I don't know, 50, 50 episodes ago or so. And um, or actually it was last summer. Anyway, we <laughs> talked about how she was hallucinating and like sweating pomegranates and kiwis and things like out of her skin. Oh my God. That's and, crazy. I just like viscerally could feel that feeling. Of yeah. Pomegranates coming out of me. I paced a friend at the Ure 100 this past summer and uh, I picked her up at 54. And by about mile 60, she saw Indiana Jones. Oh, wow. Cool. At the top of a mountain. <laughs> oh <laughs> I my was like, God. K- 
Kelly, keep eating. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about this Indiana Jones thing later. <laughs> I'm glad you were there. You, she could like speak aloud and you would be like, I'm committing this to memory. You will never yeah. forget this. It's right. Like, if you her. hadn't been there, she'd been like, did I really think I saw Indiana Jones? But you were like the witness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, do you see the guy up in the tr-? I'm like, Kelly, put another, <laughs> put another chew in your mouth and eat it. <laughs> But it's it's so fascinating, like where the mind goes and the hallucination is like a protective mechanism. It's like mm-hmm. you've gone too far yeah. compared to what your body and mind are used to experiencing. And this is like, it's like shutting down before it shuts down and trying to scare you into stopping because otherwise you, you're like, you can't move any further. On the total other end of the spectrum, I'm wondering... Have you run a really hard 5K recently? Oh my gosh. I mean, no, I ran a, I, I mean, no, I haven't run a hard 5K. I've, I'm laughing because like there's a 5K at our, when we, where we spend the summer every summer and I run it with my girls or like I'll try to run. But like that actually terrifies me. A fast road race is like far more frightening than a 50 miler to me. Um, but yeah, never say never. I mean, anything can like, I'm so curious to like what is going to move me. And, and I have a a race calendar, which is unlike me, you know, I don't always plan way in advance because, um, some of that sort of feeling my way into something, you can't know that in January for the year. Um, but running a fast marathon is sort of like I had a dream about it and I, I always pay attention to my dreams and I wrote it down um, and I was like, I wonder what that means that I'm dreaming of running because I really don't like to run on the roads. Like I think maybe that's not a good idea for me <laughs> to train for one because I'd have to be on the pavement, but or I don't dirt. know. Maybe I know. Yeah. So <laughs> my first time I, that I went to Western States, um, was 2018 and I hadn't launched this podcast yet, but it was a few weeks after I started thinking about it. Mm-hmm. and. I was so curious about these people doing this thing where they run for up to 30 hours. And with what I do for work, it's become very normalized to run a hundred miles. And a lot of the people in my community have done it, do it frequently, like really frequently. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, um, but I, I hadn't been to one. So 2018 was the first one I was, I went to. And I just started asking people like 5 a.m., what are you thinking about? 4.59 AM. What are you thinking about? And one guy was like, I'm just really glad this ain't a 5k. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, dude, you're about to run a hundred miles. Well, only at when, and, only at a hundred mile race would someone say that. <laughs> but oh, it's such crazy. an interesting, it's such an interesting reflection, right? Like a 5k is less than 20 minutes of, for yeah. me, a 5k is le- ideally less than 18 minutes worth yeah. of like intense. Yeah. It's like a like you're riding a razor's your finger is on the edge the entire time yeah. and you can't go too far one way or the other otherwise you undershoot or you overshoot. And for me the 5k is that perfect dichotomy of the mind wrestling with the body because yeah. I watched the um I forget what it was called but it was about the the 8000 meter peaks um oh the the 14 14- yeah, 14. 14 peaks or something? 14 peaks, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the guy in the movie was like, when you think you're fucked, you're only 45% fucked. And so <laughs> I think about this all the time. I'm like, when you're riding that edge, yeah. it's really not the edge, but it's a practice of how close can you get to like maximal discomfort and persevere, right? Like that's the definition of endurance, right. the ability to to endure when the cost of enduring is getting increasingly more expensive. That's not, that's not what it actually is, but close enough. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and so I find it so fascinating. And I find the, the, for me, the 5k is, is the practice of finding limits. I haven't run a hundred miler yet. And the 50k I ran was like party pace mm-hmm. and, <laughs> I did rim to rim to rim, which was finding, I found my limits or so I think um, about 10 hours into that, but you can't do that every weekend. 
I mean, when you say it like that, the 5K, you know, like over in 20 minutes, like does sound sort of nice to me because then you have the whole day for writing and you'd be like, I just really went for it. Yeah. So maybe it's not that terrifying. Maybe I'll switch to 5Ks. But yeah, you mentioned the rim to rim to rim. Like that was another thing that I did where like I accidentally practiced that practice of having no goal and had like an insane day of just, you know, afterwards when I got back, you know, I, I didn't know that I had run it the way I had, like I, and I like stopped at the river to swim. And it was just like that joyful practice of being completely present in the effort and making a true effort. Like it was not, you know, that I was just kind of cruising. It was, you know, a, a true effort. Um, but I was so present to each moment, like it, just inhabiting the run that it didn't feel effortful, if that makes sense. It does make sense. It sounds weird, but I've experienced it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not that it's effortless or it's not that it's easy, but there's a sense that there's not as much resistance. And, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. Oftentimes you go into a run with so much resistance, mental resistance, like physical resistance, you know, you're resisting the weather. Like, you know, it sounds like this morning you had like that opposite of the resistance where you're just like, I'm going to give myself over to this weather. But boy, that the resistance we create, you know, totally can suck our energy. Totally. Um, you said something, you were, you were talking about how, you had that experience at rim to rim to rim and it wasn't, it wasn't effortless, but it was, I mean, it's like flow, right? Yeah, it was, it was definitely flow. And I think because I went into it without any sense of a time goal, like at all, you know, I, and that's, you know, I didn't check what the, what the FKT was. I didn't, I, I was just running to be in the Canyon and, and I've done the Grand Canyon now three times and, um, each time I finish, I have the sense of like, why did I just rush across the Grand Canyon? Like where the scale of time is so immense, you know, that basement rock in the bottom, which is like 2 billion years old. Like, why did I just fly through there? Like, this is a place to, like, this is a place where time has slowed so incredibly much. And um, so I always feel a little foolish coming out of the Grand Canyon. Like, and, and, you know, I don't run on a watch very much, but like those couple times, like I was, I knew my, I knew when I had started and, you know, I'm not that person who at a stoplight stops her watch, <laughs> but you know, when you get out of the Canyon, you sort of dive up onto the, the South rim again. Um, I was just like, wow, that was very unnatural to move that way in a place that's so old. So I, you know, I have vowed to go back and it's not that it's like about moving slowly, but maybe it's about moving more in time with our surroundings. And I think that's what I felt at Leadville. Like I was completely in sync with the mountains that day. If that sounds kind of weird, it's hard to explain, but, um, but to, to be in the Canyon in a way that like honors that time and, and the ancientness of it, um, is kind of, is what I want to do next. And I think I'm going to do that by, you know, not running the standard route, but, but going down like the South Kaibab and up North and then coming up bright angel. So I'm not, so no part of my ego can be like clinging to like a number. If I that love that. <laughs> I think you one of the things yourself sometimes, like that's what it takes. Yeah. I think one of the ego things that makes the Canyon. Yes. Um, it's so unique because you can see where you're going to and you can see where you've come from. Yeah. And so when you're standing at the South Rim, you can see the North Rim yeah. and it, it's like objectively very far away. Very far. And then you Terrifying move. Far. Yeah. And then you move towards it. And then there are all those false summits. <laughs> and yeah. You're like, uh, oh, I'm there. When I did it, um, I ran, uh, Anna Mae Flynn joined us and she had done it a handful of times, I think. And, um, she was like, when you see the white rock, you're not close. <laughs> like, <laughs> are you going like, to the North room? You mean, or are you coming back? To the South. Or I, I don't remember what the color was or what the rock was, but she was like, you see this layer of rock and it looks like you're about to climb out of it, but oh, yeah. you're going to turn the corner and there's another two miles to go or whatever. But 
I love that experience and I love being in the San Juans this past summer because you feel so small and it's incomparable to any other place. Even when you're in the town of Ure, like you're just a little speck surrounded by these mountains. It's very humbling. Um, I'd be remiss to uh, not ask about Running Home, the the memoir you wrote. I'm curious your relationship with, with that book in particular um, and what that means to you in the, in the human experience. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, running home is a memoir that I wrote about sort of the way I came to long distance running. I didn't mention this, but like, I've been a runner my whole life. So pretty much around the time that I started writing is when I started running. And, um, but was never competitive, just ran my own way. And I think that honestly that saved me. And that's why I'm running now with so much like inner, you know, joy for it because I didn't, you know, burn myself out as a competitive runner in my teens and twenties. But, um, my father died in 2010 and he and I were very close. As I've mentioned, he was, you know, a real inspiration to me. And I had just had, um, a, my second daughter was born and I had this really intense sort of grief, anxiety, cyclone kind of came over me, um, probably some postpartum stuff and, um, was fairly sure I was dying too. And now I know that that is not uncommon. That's not an uncommon manifestation of grief is to sort of take on the illness or the loss of someone else and think that you're dying. But I didn't know that and I didn't know what was happening. And so um, I tried, I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and there's tons of natural healers here and I'm a very open-minded person. And so I tried like everything And nothing worked as well as running into the mountains. And again, like I've been a runner, I've been a trail runner. I had raced before this, like it, this was not like a shock of the death and like, now I'm going to start something I've never done. But my relationship to running became very different after my father died. And, and it was really how I healed myself was going on, you know, increasingly longer and longer runs into the mountains. And when I was running, as I write about, like, I stopped thinking that I was dying, you know, not for long. Like as soon as I got back from the run, I'd be like, what's that crink in my shoulder? Is that like a tumor or whatever? And so it wasn't, you know, it didn't work, you know, as a blanket fix cure-all, but it gave me relief in the moment. And, um, and so the book is really sort of an exploration about that path through grief and very much like a father daughter memoir, um, kind of also like a coming of age story as a writer. Uh, so it was really powerful to write it. I wrote a lot of it through running, like actually, you know, as a writer, I've always felt that my ideas flow most fluidly, like when I'm in motion and there's, there's this really direct connection between, you know, when we move our bodies, we move our minds. And, um, and that was, I've always known that to be true since I was a girl. I think why I became a writer or why I started writing and running around the same time was that I discovered that super accidentally. You know, I think I was out riding my bike as a seven-year-old and I was like, oh, making those stories up when I moved my body. And, um, and so for years after my dad died, I didn't know I was writing the book, but I had been writing the book, if you know what I mean, like while I was running and I would come home and I keep notebooks. So I'm, some people would call them journals or diaries, but I had written so much down in my notebooks about the grief process and losing my father just because I didn't want to forget and not because they were for something. That was another example where I was in the process of it rather than like trying to write a book, right? And it's very similar to the approach that I have toward running or that I try to cultivate, which is to be in the process and not fixated on the result. It wasn't for a while that, you know, maybe a year or two after, no, like three years after my dad died, that on a run, I got to the top of the mountain that I usually run up, Adelia here in Santa Fe, and the words running home just came to me. And of course, like when we get to the, if, if we're on a, like an out and back run, the minute we flip it, right, and come home to start for home, we're running home. But it worked on so many levels of like running home to yourself and... um that I knew as soon as I had, like those words came to me, I was like, oh, that's the title. 
but I hadn't known I would even, even writing a book, if that makes sense. And so it was a, just an organic process um, of creation through movement. Um, so, so that was, yeah, a really powerful experience. And it, and it just parallels so much with my running of like, just letting the action becoming so intimate with something and not fixating on where you want it to take you. I love that. <laughs> so it's, I mean, let me just give a quick plug. It's out in paperback. It, it came out in paperback last year and hardcover before that. And um, yeah, so you can get it at your local bookstore. Quick plug. Awesome. Um, I look forward to reading it as well. Um, Dean Karnaz has uh, left a review that said, a must read for anyone looking for a deeper glimpse into the mindset of a fearless individual. <laughs> Um, what does he mean by a fearless individual? I think, I mean, everyone has fears, right? I think fearlessness is, is showing up despite our fears and that's true courage. And, um, and just, you know, willing to show up, not knowing what's going to happen. That to me is what, um, fearlessness is. And, you know, certainly if you were to be like a thought bubble inside my brain, you would see a zillion fears, you know, relating to my children, my health, my husband, you know, like we all have those, but, um, to sort of be able to hold those and to keep moving forward. And, and so that to me, and that's what I learned really grieving my father was that you could have both these almost crippling anxieties and this deep inner drive to keep going. Amazing. Well, if people want to find you and your storytelling and meditation and um, and writings, where can we find you on your corner of the internet? Um, you know, social media, I have a complex relationship with it like we all do. I would say Instagram is the most reliable place I, I post there. I'm at Katie Arnold on Instagram and I'm at Raising Rippers on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook. Um, you know, my, my principle or my sort of guiding mantra with social media is just to post when I'm moved to do so. So I'm just trying to put up there things that are real and coming, wanting to come out of me and to be shared. So go there. I'm, you know, hope that it's of use and inspiration. I've also, um, doing running and writing retreats, which I've got one for women, um, a writing, and running flow retreat in late April in Santa Fe, which, um, we have this amazing spot. It's kind of a glamping luxury glamping retreat, and we'll be doing lots of running really great writing practice. And we'll be doing sitting meditation as well as some sort of bonuses from my, my favorite teachers, including my Tai Chi teacher. Very cool. Well, Katie, thanks so much for taking some time to chat today and I hope we can uh, share a run together in the mountains sometime soon. Thanks, Jonathan. It was a pleasure. Take care. Likewise. You too. Okay. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. <laughs>